Hi, this is J.D. Kellner, author of The Cranes of Blackwell, and you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. Dead Hand Radio, JD, and thanks for joining me. If you don't mind, let's just get an idea of what you write about and what got you started into writing. Yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah. So again, thanks for having me on. A a big thing that I enjoy writing about, of course, is um, some science fiction, speculative fiction. uh, And uh, I do a lot of short stories for my website. Um, And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, my debut novel, The Cranes of Blackwell, had just come out um, back on October 9th. Um, and I, I was really excited to see a dream of mine come to life. But I've been writing for a while. Um, I'm one of those guys, uh, one of those writers that would write a lot, you know, in, at home, uh, behind the scenes, and never, never let it see the light of day, um, either because I was not confident in the things I was putting out or... Um, Sometimes it, it just didn't feel like it was ready. And uh, I, I'm, I'm one of the uh, types of writers that uh, also spends a lot of time coming up with ideas, outlining those ideas, and then storing them away for future use. Um, but for the Cranes of Blackwell, it was something that I just kept going with, right? Uh, I had the outline put out there. Um, it took two years to write and two years for find, to find somebody to publish it. And it was it was well worth the wait. I will say that. But uh yeah, I mean, that that's, you know, I, I went when I was in grad school, uh, I went to a place called Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, and being from Pittsburgh, it's about two hours north of me. And um, when you're in grad school, you write a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily want to write about. Uh, so I actually didn't get to do creative writing for quite some time. Um, you know, one of the things that allowed me to do that was actually uh, getting married. My, my wife encouraged it. I was very much letting her read the things that I was too afraid to show anyone else. And I was gaining confidence that way. You said that your wife was a, a big supporter of your work and she encouraged you to, uh, to continue doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things like when you're a kid, I was very fortunate to have very supportive parents, but it's one thing to show your parents something. They'll always put it on the fridge. Um, It's another thing to, show it to somebody you're dating, right? You don't, you know, what they don't like that type of writing. I mean, certainly some of my short stories have a, a, a little bit more of a horror sci-fi theme to them, you know, and oftentimes horror has some level of gore and violence in there. And I wasn't sure how she would take those things. And as a guy, you know, when you're trying to impress somebody, you don't, you know, you try to put your best foot forward. And whenever I found out that she was a fan of my writing and, and, and putting her sport behind the things that I was doing, you know, it really encouraged me to, to really push ahead and really push forward and getting a full novel out there. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it takes so much effort and I've never written a novel. I've, I've done a few short stories, but um, to, to put a novel out there uh, takes so much effort and so much energy and time <clears throat> that if you don't have the support of a spouse it's just going to complicate the entire process to the point and exponentially. So to the point where a lot of people don't even ever pursue it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's a lot of late nights, um, you know, a lot of early mornings for me, uh, especially with two kids. Um, 
it's just finding that spare time and you know it's and that's the support that she's able to give me is you know hey if you need tonight to to write or do what you you know you want to do to be able to get you know your work done your creative work done um take it and you know it's she's been very 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 supportive with that yeah that's great um now dead hand radio is focused on the cold war but not necessarily a historical recounting of the events of the cold war and the people of the cold war but how the cold war impacted the world and the different areas of our lives culture art the film industry and the literary industry as well were you alive during the the cold war era or or were you born after that so i was born in 1986 so um a lot of the things that i got very early on uh, were Goldeneye, like James Bond. Um, you know, I was a big fan of the movie Miracle about the U.S. hockey team. Um, you know, but one of my favorite movies is actually Atomic Blonde with Charlie Theron. Um, it's not, you know, wasn't filmed during the Cold War era, but it, it really takes place during that. And it's, it's maybe a bit of an exaggerated version of the spy culture associated with Cold War, the Cold War era. But it, you know, a lot of our um, pop culture still kind of goes around that um you know mo- much of my favorite science fiction movies for example are from the 80s aliens um the abyss um leviathan um and and while not all of them are directly kind of talking about that uh, communist capitalist type of um co- conflict uh you know there's always a little bit of those undertones and they usually they usually put them in there and say hey is that a russian submarine or is that what it used to be especially the movie leviathan i think uh, with peter weller um one of the things they discover is an old russian submarine and, and they pull out the paperwork from there and what happened and um you know is it a russian experiment um but my first real taste of the cold war in pop culture is is always going to be Goldeneye, the thing I can remember the most, um, Pierce Brosnan and, and Sean Bean, and um, and that movie in particular was kind of one of those things that I really, it really opened me up to the, to James Bond and the Cold War theme that you you know took place in most of of the early uh, movies and, and novels. Well, that makes complete sense. That Atomic Blonde is one of your favorite movies, then, because she is nothing short of an American female james bond oh absolutely fantastic movie um you know definitely a lot of action and that's something that i i really like in my 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 spy spy movies i mean you know um bridge of spies things like that i I do like those um i did like red sparrow with jennifer lawrence i thought that was kind of a unique take on um not necessarily cold war is post-cold war but it was still stoking those tensions that you know we still see today uh, between Russia and the United States. And, um, you know, I thought it was a really interesting um, storyline for, you know, using um, to kind of um, pull information out, out of their marks. So it was, I thought that was a very unique take. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that movie, but I, I 100% recommend it. Um, you know, I, I, my movie crush is, is Jennifer Lawrence, that's for sure, though, I'm not going to lie. Uh, no, I did not see that movie, but I know the story. And that story is very similar to the backstory of Black Widow in um, 
the Marvel Avengers movies. Okay, yeah, exactly. Scarjo, another big, another big fan of hers as well. Um, I'm not, not a major uh, comic book movie guy, but you know, um, I do, I do appreciate their backstories. I think I'm more of enjoying the lore about superheroes and uh, villains rather than actually watching the movies or reading the comics. Uh, and maybe that's a bit unorthodox, but that's how I've always approached those types of things. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I'm a big time visual person. So I'm all about the movies, all about the comic books. Um, I do like reading, but I'm a slow reader. So, and I've said this about 50 times in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I tend to listen to audio books rather than read the books myself. Now, and honestly, I think that's a great way to um, get into as, as many books as you as you can. I, I know for me, um, my old job used to take me on the road a lot, and I would listen to audiobooks quite frequently. Um, I'm, you know, as with a lot of other people, I'm work from home full time now, um, but I still try to get actually in, you know, an audiobook or two a month. Um, you, you know, in the summer, it's when I'm cutting the grass or if I'm at the gym. Um, or, or out on a walk. Um, I, I find audiobooks to be extremely fascinating, especially if they're well done. Anything with a full cast is something that will immediately hit with me, that's for sure. Oh, so more of an audio drama type of... Yeah, um, and there's, a, there's an audio drama of Ender's Game uh, from Orson Scott Card that's really good. I think there's about six or seven people that are included in it. Um, I 100% recommend it. I think it's only on Audible, but it's it's if you like science fiction, um, that's a good one to 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 go for. Good shout! Uh, I'll, I'll check that out. I have not heard. I have not uh, read the book, but I've heard of it, and I think there was a movie made about it too, right? Yeah, Harrison Ford was in it actually, and and I'm with you. I actually haven't read the book. I've listened to the book. Okay. Um, you know, some people will call it one and the same, and to me, it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I, yeah, I definitely. still say the dialogue out in my head as I'm reading it. Um, I'm with you. I'm not a fast reader. Um, I, I find that if I'm reading too fast, I, I feel like I'm just trying to plow through something rather than enjoying the meaning and the message behind a, a written story. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about the book uh, that you just recently had published? Sure, Absolutely. Um, so the Cranes of Blackwell came out from Kyanite Publishing on October 9th. Um, it, it was it was kind of a, an interesting take on on uh, from what I've been trying to write. Um, it's since it's considered speculative fiction, there is some things grounded in reality, but uh, the world itself is fictional. Um, I tried to keep a lot of things there for the reader to kind of expand their own imagination, but a lot of the story uh, involves a family that gets separated, but they actually work for a, a, the authoritarian regime that's in place. Um, and the husband is framed. Uh, it, it's been, it kind of builds to that. So he's framed because he, he's, he's not thrilled with exactly how the regime has been operating. They get separated and the book in, covers their stories on how, the, how they get back to one another, the things they have to overcome kind of pushing aside their personal demons, doing things that they may not normally do in order to, to reunite their family. All the while, their young son, James, is being indoctrinated on a level um, 
that they're trying to stop before it's too late. Uh, so I don't, I won't give away the ending. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful people pick it up one way or another. And, um, but just know that, uh, you know, there's a bit of a twist is the way I like to put it. There's a bit of a twist at the end. I'm not M. Night Shyamalan. I won't, I won't do anything crazy, but, um, the whole message behind it is certainly overcoming your, your personal demons to be able to, to conquer a greater evil, kind of that trope. Good. Uh, well, so yeah, I wouldn't ask you to give away spoilers. I mean, <laughs> you know, everybody enjoys a good twist, uh, especially if it's at the end of a story, but, um, can you set up the, uh, the story for us? Because I, I, I'm not sure if it's like a medieval or not a medieval, but like a, uh, is it a shipboard uh, type of like a colonial era? What what's when's when is the time setting? I think nineteen thirties. Um, you know, you know the one major one of the major inspirations I had behind there was a couple. Um, then there's a few literary inspirations, and then there is one that I was playing a lot of Wolfenstein at the time. Um, on on oh, the, uh, oh, oh, hold on, okay. Um, you, you have to explain what that is because not, not everybody knows it. Sure. So um, uh, way back when, uh, I believe in the early 90s, a first-person shooter came out called Wolfenstein. Um, right around the same era as Doom. Um, and, you know, it was a, a POW that escapes a Nazi uh, prison camp and you know, in, in that game, he ultimately defeats a, um, a version of uh, Adolf Hitler. Um, and the version I was playing was the updated 2015 version, and it's a lot more involved. But the whole, the whole point is kind of um, a fascist regime, you know, in the book is simply called, I just call it the regime. I, I you know, I didn't, I had a bunch of names picked out for it, strangely enough, but I, I kept settling on something plain, something that sounded menacing on its own. So in this one, it was called the regime. So um, I had always pictured 1930s alternative universe, um, Germany, in a, in a sense, in a city called Blackwell. Um, you know, everyone kind of does what they're supposed to do in order to fall in line with the government. Uh, they do their jobs, they go to school, um, all the while they every morning have to listen to a broadcast from um, the great chancellor, Al Albrecht Croft, which is the name of the antagonist in the book. Um, you know, a lot of the other things that are going on while Berg, you know, the main character is a guy named Bergen Green or Crane and Alyssa Crane. Um, and while they're kind of going through their own adventure, there's other things going on in the background um, that are greater than them that they don't even realize. Um, so that's a big part of it. And I, you know, that if I fear that I'll start going into spoiler territory if I go too far into that. Okay, um, so so let's let's just say it's a alternate speculative uh, an alternate history speculative fiction. Right there, perfect. Uh, got it. Okay, so that brings us to and oh, the setting is 1930s nazi or the beginning early days of nazi germany right something similar to that right you know i don't you don't use nazis in this um you know that that's kind of everyone you know everyone does that everyone knows they're bad um but they were kind of the model for the regime got it so to speak. okay all right well yeah that sets it up pretty nicely and uh 
is it does it uh, delve into the realm of fantasy or more of a just a speculative fiction, historical fiction? Yeah, the, you know, for this one, it's it's more speculative historical fiction. Um, I would even sprinkle in a little bit of thriller in there. Uh, um, I don't really touch on fantasy too much, which is strange because for me as a writer, a lot of what my short stories are and my other novels I work on are mostly fantasy based. Um, I do have a, a space opera in the works too. So this one was, a little, this is why it's strange that this is the one that got picked up. Um, for me anyways, I'm excited that it got picked up. You know, it's the one I, I poured my heart and soul into. Um, but yeah, I, I would say um, alternative historical fiction with speculative fiction and thriller kind of sprinkled in there. That's great. Well, congrats on uh, getting the book picked up. Uh, I know some of the people at Kyanite Publishing, BK Bass, he's an awesome guy. Oh, I love BK. Great guy. Uh, it sucks that they're not going to be putting out any new works. And, um, yeah, that's right. you know, it's, it's kind of sad to see them scaling back and possibly, I think they're going to be closing down here sometime. At the in the end next, of the year. End of the year, is it? Yeah. Oh, and I will say this, the Cranes of Blackwell has found a new home. Oh, good. Um, but I, um, uh, I haven't signed the contract with them yet. Uh, cool. so I, I'm not sure if they want me to go out and say who they are, but I just can tell you it found a new home. Um, so it will continue to be available, um, you know, via Kindle and uh, paperback and, and hardback, of course. Good. That's good to know that, um, that it does have a new home and it's going to continue to be available. So you mentioned that your next uh, book or series that you're working on is a space opera. What uh, you want to talk a little bit about that since that's more science fiction? Sure. Um, so... I've, it's actually been something I've had in the works for quite some time. It's uh, hesitant, you know, tentatively titled uh, Nebulous, and it follows um, a colonial dominion, you know, very, uh, very generic for right now, uh, very Starcraft. Um, and so it, they're basically still colonizing, trying to find worlds to colonize, uh, you know, very standard stuff. But one of the things that makes it a little bit different is that, you know, the colony class ships that they're utilizing come across their first um, kind of taste of alien species. And, you know, you know, that's, that's a little bit of uh, Ridley Scott in me where they come across an alien species and, and the species um, haven't quite given them a name yet uh, can no longer reproduce aside from uh, a form of assimilation where they kind of gen genetically re-engineer your, uh, your chromosomes and your genome sequence and then you eventually uh, metamorphosize into one of them. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Uh, it's it's very much a uh, here comes a mysterious creatures from another galaxy that are here to wipe out humanity, and then humanity finds out a little bit more about themselves. That hey, we were given the secret to spaceflight by a peaceful species. We meet them. Um, I, I always like to have a mix of betrayal in there. I'm not you know. So I'm just trying to figure out who's going to betray who. Um, I, I will say this. It may be one of the series that I write that maybe doesn't actually have a happy ending. Um, I do enjoy happy endings. I think there's a lot of difficulties in the world. So a happy ending always uh, makes me smile. But um, this one, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it a little bit more ruthless. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, uh, it, you know, I have a, a good first draft done, but there's a lot of things I still want to do to it. Cool. Well, 
you can go a lot of places uh, in the world of science fiction. And uh, it sounds like you got a pretty good foundation to work from. Uh, I like the idea of aliens, um, you know, and if, if I'm giving too much away by saying no, no, this, no. To, um, but no, of course not. I like the idea that aliens are coming to earth and take humans and turn them into hybrid alien creatures to grow their ranks. Right. That's, a, that's yeah. a little bit of a different twist. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I, I'm a full believer in aliens. Um, so many people are afraid to say whether or not they believe in UFOs or aliens. And for you to come out and say that you believe in alien life, hats off to you, man. Well, uh, you know, I think there's a difference between saying they've been here and that there's aliens. So for me, I've never seen them, but I think you know, the vastness of our universe prevents that from there's just the law of probability makes it really difficult for me to believe that there's nothing else out there. Now, as far as if they've ever been here, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to think that they have, but again, well, um, there's, there's absolutely something that's flying around with impunity in our skies, buzzing our military. And I mean, these things have even been um, seen in close vicinity to our nuclear weapons and that's a little bit alarming and if you if you say that if you want to try to put that off as something that's a foreign adversary i don't think so no i i agree with you I, and it's 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 really a kind of a scary thing and for me as a writer I, I think it'd be remiss of me to to just kind of dismiss the the outer world the or uh, only because, you know, where would I get my imagination if, if it was not something that uh, I had some level of belief in? I mean, I, my, my mother is a paranormal hunter in her spare time. So if that puts that out there, puts that out there for you about where I may have gotten my imagination from, um, she's a big proponent of that. Uh, you, you know, but for me, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I, my eyes really got opened up. I took an astronomy course in college. Uh, and when you learn about the vastness of space, um, boy, it really it really makes you think about um, what could be out there, what may have ever been here. You know, were they even here from this from long you know long time? Have they just been hidden? I mean, it's re it's really kind of interesting. And then what I like to do is kind of take those what ifs and try to put them into stories. Um, you know, we'll mark them as fiction for now, and hopefully it stays that way. Especially if they're gonna. Um, Come, har come harvest humans, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting twist on it. Now, uh, I think we have already reached a tipping point on this planet to where, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, if you said you believe in alien life, you were painted as a kook. But in the last 10, you know, 10, 20 years, people have started to come around to the idea that there's alien life throughout the universe and it's more abundant than we had ever imagined. And what I mean by a tipping point is we've gotten to a point where more people on earth believe that there is alien life throughout the universe and even in our own galaxy um, than the people who claim that there is no other life except for humans. 
or than oh, I, than life on earth I, I don't think there's that many people who actually believe that life on earth is the only planet to have life on it yeah i would tend to agree with you on that one i mean i, I just with the things that we've been able to discover even just through a telescope right or um, we just landed on an asteroid not that long ago i mean that kind of stuff's fascinating to me um you know and i wasn't exactly a like a physics major or anything along those lines so when i do write science fiction um i i intend to have people suspend uh disbelief so the things that i write work but i know there's some really great authors that are really hard science fiction and they they do a lot of research in into the physics behind space travel for example um, living in space um you know, what you can expect from colonizing a different planet. And if, if a human can imagine that, you know, I imagine another species that is sentient has been able to figure that out too. Maybe even it's, you know, I think uh, Stephen Hawking that mentioned that he doesn't really want to meet aliens because if they can get here, that means they're by far way more advanced than us. And I, I tend to agree with him. I'm not ready to meet them. I'd like to see pictures of them and I would like to, um, you know, know how they tick, but I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I wouldn't be ready to meet them yet. We'll put it that way, especially at least the way I write them. <laughs> well, let's just hope, you know, if, if the day comes when aliens do reveal themselves to humanity uh, and we'll just put it that way because we know they're here or we know that something is here. We don't know if it's alien life or, time travelers, interdimensional beings, but something's here. They just haven't revealed themselves to the general public. But the day that they do, let's just hope that they're more benevolent than humans. I hope so too. Because you know, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if they're anywhere near as uh, primitive as humans, which I doubt that they are, uh, yeah, we could be looking at extinction within a couple of decades of them doing that. Yeah, I like to think, um, what is it, uh, James Cameron, The Abyss, right, where uh, Ed Harris meets the kind of the angelic being at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and then um, there's one movie with Gary Sinise. I, I can't quite remember the, the title of it, but he also meets a Martian that's all, you know, they're way more benevolent than we are. And it's an eye-opening experience. I'm with you on that one. You know, if they ever do show up, um, Let's hope they've been watching us for a while and they're just here to, to help us um, mend our fences and, and become a peaceful species. So the movie that you referred to with Gary Sinise, I think is called The Red Planet. Yes, yes, that's it. It's a great movie. I, oh, yeah. I, I, do I haven't seen it forever. <laughs> yeah, I had actually forgotten about that movie till you mentioned it. Um, now, going back to your mom being a paranormal investigator, what... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that, I mean, why didn't that translate into you and, uh, you know, your interests? How come you're not doing that kind of stuff, too? I, I'll got to be honest, listening to the EVPs and going into um, old sanitariums and things like that, at, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, it's just not my thing. Is it scary to you? Um, You know, what? I've never I've never done it because I think I'm afraid to do it. So I couldn't really tell you if the actual experience would be scary or not. Because I do like horror movies. I do. Um, but it, there's there's something different than whenever you're kind of there. Um, you know, being in Pennsylvania, I've been to Gettysburg 
a lot, right? I've been there four or five times and um, there, we've only ever had one experience and it was when I was a kid and it frightened me then. I mean, we were in the basement of some house where a cannonball went through the wall and killed somebody in the family. And there was this, they were doing like this seance thing in the basement and everything went flying off the shelf. Um, and there was a big storm outside and I, I'll never forget that. But, you know, uh, I, I, I gotta say, I just don't have the, the, the schutz, to go into an old, um, old mental institution and, and, and deal with it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's not something that's, it's not that it has an impact in my work. Um, it's just, you know, I, it, it's not, um, it's not really as much of my passion as, as it is hers, but I will say this, it certainly sparks my imagination when I think about it. And when I talk to her about the experiences that she's had, you know, nothing's more creepy than whenever you hear a little recorder and you hear voices in the background. Um, now, you, you know, I have a rougher time with this one than with aliens, um, but, you know, it, I've definitely heard them. Now, whether or not it was somebody else in the group or something unexplained, like a white noise type thing, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not as gung-ho to do that, I guess. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you listen to my uh, Halloween edition, uh, the 12-episode series I did for Halloween, uh, you'll know that I have a hard time discounting anything paranormal. I just think that there's something to it, man. There's enough evidence and enough eyewitness testimony of things happening. And then I've had my own weird experiences that I can't explain. Like there's, there's gotta be something to it. Yeah. I'm not going to discount it. 100% with you on that, especially thing from the, the, especially the EVPs that really sells me on at least something. Um, but you know, I, I, it's not that I, like I said, I just, I don't know if I can muster up the courage to go into those old places. And, and this is, you know, my, uh, my mother can go ahead and do it, but me, I'm, I'm going to stand back here and I'll just let you, you show me your findings. And, um, you know, whenever you have your, your meter, show me how cold that one area is compared to where you're staying. I'll, I'm going to continue to stand outside of the building in my house. Um, so your, yeah. your mom, uh, is obviously a source of research when you're doing, um, a story about something like that. I, oh I mean, yeah. That yeah. that's a great resource to have available. Has she ever had a, uh, an experience like a really negative, um, almost like she's been attacked kind of experience? Yeah. Um, actually she, there was a house in a town by where I lived, um, that, uh, there was a murder in it and, uh, the negative experience wasn't like a, you know, you're not, th I'm not thinking the conjuring type experience, but, um, getting yelled at, um, via EVP to leave, um, those types of things. I know she's experienced and those are the extremely creepy ones. Hmm. Um, you know, cause a lot of times, most of them are just minor things and their questions. And, um, it's just weird to hear it in a little bit creepy but you know whenever you go to a place and there's really that negative energy um and she captures it that's whenever it gets really you know and she plays those back that's that's when it's frightening you know because it's not everything that apparently is hunky-dory on the other side uh every time mm -hmm. yeah well if if uh, you or her are interested um there's an episode that i did with a, a psychic medium who also does ghost hunting 
and she talks about she shares an experience um during one of her paranormal investigations that is quite chilling and i'm not going to tell you what it is you can go yeah listen please to don't it. spoil it i'll no, listen you, to it yeah it's uh it's episode 10 her name is sandy Linnae. so and the episode is titled encounter with evil on dead hand radio i'll check it out and, and i know she'll love it ah, yeah, that, cool. that's right up her alley cool um yeah, I, I, yeah, I, there's a, there's a program that I, I, I do watch from time to time and um, it's, it's stuff along those lines. Not naturally just recreation. I'll be very curious to see, uh, hear a firsthand experience on your program. And um, I know she'll love it uh, and, and I'll check it out with her. I'm, I'm, you know, be a father, mother's, mother's son bonding moment, you know, being frightened together. Very cool. <laughs> very cool. I'd love to hear what you guys think of it too. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'll give you some feedback for That's sure. Awesome. That's awesome. But uh, let's go. Let's talk a little bit more about the science fiction realm and how it has uh, influenced you. Now, what was it that I, and you, you did tell me that your wife was a big encouragement on you getting started to to do the writing? But who would you say was like your earliest influence? What movie did you? see or, or experience that made you say man that's what i want to do well not to be cliche uh star wars um you know because i was fortunate enough that they you know people are going to argue that um the remasters were kind of hokey and garbage in some sense but i was i was lucky enough that i was still a kid when they re-released them and it really was something that caught my attention in, um, and then they had the prequels, which while mostly forgettable, were part of my youth. Um, but it was the original trilogy that kind of inspired me to fan out a little bit and get a better understanding of science fiction as a whole. Um, I think there's very few people that simply don't like Star Wars, but it's not, you know, it's not hard science fiction, right? It's not one of those things where, um, things like that occur, could occur in space. So whenever I started really diving into science fiction after becoming a Star Wars fan, the book, The Forever War, um, by Joe uh, Haldeman, really kind of helped me take off into um, wanting to write and read more, a little bit more real, but I, I, there's air quotes going on here, realistic science fiction. Um, you know, The Forever War, uh, you know, following a guy that knows whenever he leaves earth, he'll come back and his own mother ages and everything around him is different. And it's expected of, of his, of being an infantryman and what he does. And um, some of the experiences where they actually don't even really know what the alien looks like very early on in the war. Um, but the heavy stuff is, you know, the understanding that I'm going to go, Across time and space and when I come back everything I knew and love may be dead or gone or changed and um, you know that that's always something that hits home and, and it's not the first book to do that but it was one of the ones that really kept me engaged um, and uh, you know something uh, that I, that really caught my eye with it in was how he was treated when he got home so kind of circle back to the cold war here you know a lot of the 
Vietnam veterans when they got home weren't necessarily treated with the respect that they deserved. And in the forever war, it's kind of the same concept. So they're fighting a alien species that most of the citizens of earth by the time he returns don't even really remember or know or understand why that war is going on. So when he comes home, he's, you know, he's not treated like a hero. He's treated like a a guy returning to see his life completely obliterated. Um, So that was one of the things that that was one of the novels that really um, propelled me into wanting writing and, and, and reading and watching science fiction. That's a good reference. Um, And it's one that you don't hear a lot of people point to. Uh, I didn't even hear about that book until it was turned into a comic book. And the comic book is fantastic. It's a six part series. Uh, The artwork in it is just incredible. But uh, check it out. I I just started getting into comics myself. um, But Neil Gaiman's The Sandman series. Um, That's that's the that was kind of my introduction to to uh, comics that were more, I suppose, literary focused than kind of your, your superhero comics. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a big, um, you know, it's a big difference between, like you said, literary comics and superhero comics. And then the forever war that falls kind of in between because it's not superhero, but it, I, I guess it would be considered more literary, but it's definitely science fiction. Um, and it's just it's so interesting how they how they do that man they have you know there's one part in the in the story where the guy he falls in love with one of his other one of the other soldiers right and then she ends up getting injured and she gets out of combat um and then he continues on you know and as they would go out into combat they would not age but when they come back, like you said, everything has changed. And so the love of his life only lasted for, you know, in his mind, a couple of days uh, or maybe a couple months. I, I don't really know exactly. But Right. Yeah, it's roughly that. And she lived out her the whole rest of her life, never able to see him again. If I'm totally botching that, it, which is probably true, that's just, that's the way I remember it. You're right on. I mean, I don't remember it detail for detail, but I, I do know that that's that's pretty much a gist, right? I mean, and and it's you know it's kind of gut wrenching, um, in that sense, where uh, you're kind of a prisoner of time. You know, time wins all, right? Time's undefeated, and it doesn't matter if you're writing a book or in a movie or your your day to day. You know, even even the most harder hard science fiction still have to abide by the rules of time for the most part. So um, yeah, you know, you were right on with, with, you know, being kind of crushed uh, with the love of his life and having to be a blip in his memory rather than a long-term experience. Uh, that was just an interesting, an interesting take on time travel and, you know, they did that again in Interstellar very well. I thought they yes, did that did. quite well in that one um, that one sequence where uh, the uh, Matthew McConaughey's character went down to that one planet, and he was only down there for a couple of minutes. But then when he came back to his ship, his um, his shipmate had aged like fifty years or something. 
Yeah, that that that's a really good movie. Now, the only part of that movie I'd, was that whole kind of the continuum through a black hole scene that I didn't I didn't understand. I mean, it, you know, um, but it, it wrapped up nicely. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, the other part is when he sees his daughter at the end, towards the end, where she is in her eighties and he is still his same age. And, that's right. Um, Forget about yeah. that. And he he returns and then he leaves because everything again he knows and loves is is gone, and um, you know he goes back to find uh, Anne Hathaway's character. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's I always have a rough time with those movies. I love them, but you know it's it's always a reminder of uh, time marches on no matter what, and uh, you know so you know those are always rough for me. But again, Interstellar is a really good movie. And, you know, I don't, whoever's listening is if you haven't seen it, go out and see it. It's a good movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I highly recommend that movie. And as a matter of fact, um, I, I had seen the movie one time when it around near the time that it first came out and I didn't really, I wasn't that fond of it for some reason. Something just kind of rubbed me wrong about the movie. But then later on, I did an interview with a, a, another writer for a, a blog that I used to write. I used to interview writers and artists for this, for my blog. And um, when I, when I was talking with this or, you know, exchanging emails with this writer, uh, he told me about the, the movie and what he thought about that movie. And it inspired me to go rewatch the movie with a different lens and look at it through the lens that he had described it to me. And when I did, I fell in love with that movie. Um, so yeah, it is a movie that I definitely recommend. And um, if anybody's wondering uh, what he had to say about it, it's on my website, andrewhall.com. And it's the um, interview I did with Arthur Maccabee. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I, I encourage anyone to check it out. I mean, uh, I had some time to, to kind of fish through your site before, and um, I'm looking forward to kind of diving into everything you've done. You've done a lot. Um, you know, I got to say, I mean, you have a lot of interesting sounding podcasts. I'm certainly going to go to the uh, Halloween special um, and uh, check that out and hopefully not uh, soil myself hearing scary, uh, potentially evil tales um, from a medium and, uh, and, you know, those are, uh, those are the types of things I like to, to listen to in my spare time. I'm certainly not going to turn on the news right now. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't even want to talk about that. Um, but yeah, man, I appreciate you saying that I did, uh, have, I mean, I just have so many different interests and, um, like, you know, I did, um, uh, I've done web design for the last 20 years and that's been the staple of my, uh, of my income is just doing web design and marketing for clients. But, uh, when I, the reason I started the podcast is it's something that I've always wanted to do. And this pandemic, uh, just gave me the time to be able to do it. And I'll leave it at that. Cause I've already said, you know, I've already told that story many, many times, but, the, the pandemic has given me the time to be able to spend and, and build up this podcast and I'm really enjoying it. I'm having a great time doing the podcast. 
I hope so I. It's important. I hope I can continue to do it. As long as it's still a passion, I would recommend doing it, man. Because I think I'm one of those people that believes the moment you stop doing your what you find you know passion in, it's tough to pick it back up. I agree. Uh, I, I I do have my own opinions about the direction that science fiction is going in the future, but I'd really like to hear where do you think it's going? What, uh, what type of changes do you see in the next five to 10 years within the, the genre? It's kind of interesting. Um, science fiction, there's certainly ebbs and flows to it. And, and for me, one of the things that's going to change science fiction, it's, it's going to be for the better. It's going to be very interesting to see um, as more diverse voices kind of get involved. Um, people who, you know, may have been unable to get their works out to the forefront, getting an opportunity and, and showing different areas in science fiction that maybe maybe you or I didn't think about. Um, you know, uh, one of the, a really cool science fiction novel is um, Blackfish City by an author named um, uh, Sam Miller. And met him at BookCon a couple of years ago. And it's, it's very interesting because his science fiction is heavily based on climate change. And um, obviously that is very t uh, controversial topic for a lot of people. And I think you're gonna see things that are a little bit more controversial getting to the forefront. Um, maybe not controversial personally to you or I, but on a grander scale that there's a lot more discussion about it in social media. Um, and, and a lot of those do involve diverse voices and, and a change from your typical dystopian tropes and things that may be more driven by uh, old science fiction, like Isaac Asimov. Um, are we going to see those types of things circle back? Maybe, but there's going to be a different twist on them. And it may be stories that come from uh, people of color or uh, the uh, LBGTQ plus community or things like that. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see what, what kind of stories come out of there, because those are, those are perspectives I, I simply don't have because I don't, you know, I don't live those li that life. Um, so those are exciting. Uh, people are going to be a little bit braver, I think, with the things that they write, because the world's allowing you to say a little bit more about what you want to, what you want to approach. And, um, but that also means you're going to be open to criticism. So if, if you're off on your hard science fiction by, um, in the eyes of a, a, a physics major, well, they're going to tell you about it. Um, but I think the biggest change is just going to be coming from the fact that there's just a lot more voices out there that are getting heard and the things that they want to write are getting out there and um, hearing stories that, you know, maybe I, I didn't have inspiration for. It's going to be very interesting. I, I think I think that's going to be the direction of science fiction. Um, as always, there's going to be reboots. Um, in the movie world, there, you know, I don't know how many alien movies that they plan on pushing out there. Um, I like the first two. I can't say much about Covenant or Prometheus. They're okay. Um, but, you know, are they going to continue to push that? Probably. Um, the one series I am looking forward to is Foundation on Apple TV from Asimov. Um, I'll be very, very curious to see how they actually adapt that, considering the breadth of that of that series. Um, but for the most part, like I said, it's it's science fiction is going to come from a, a wide range of areas, and it's going to be extremely diverse, and it's going to be really interesting because of it. I agree with that, and I think that's a, a very um, uh, all-encompassing answer. The only thing that would 
in my mind be a tragedy is if you know you 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 start to have these diversities these diverse voices and um minds start to enter the genre only to do the the same stories but with a twist uh from yeah. from whatever group that they're, they're part of you know just uh, it, don't do something that's already been done with a different flavor you know try to incorporate and try to find different ways of telling these stories in in an interesting and unique way yeah and, and you know what and i'm looking forward to that you know it's one of those things that um I 100% agree with you. There's going to be a lot of people that tread over similar ground. And it's, it's not because they're not good writers or, or movie makers, but it's probably because that's what interests them. Um, and, you know, it's really hard, especially when you're writing, to de delineate between what interests you and what's new and inventive. So I'm hopeful um, that things will be new and inventive, but almost certainly, like you pointed out, there's going to be retreads. Um, and that will be disappointing, but I'm, I'm hopeful for the large portion of new uh, science fiction artists um, that they have something uh, something different, unique. And it's, it's not easy to be different and unique. And, you know, it's one of those things that you really have to rack your brain uh, to, to kind of do something that's new. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be the next great American novel, right? But you want to have something that's going to grab people and say, this is different. And, and I like where this is going, you, whether that's through world building or the characters them, themselves. Um, science fiction, what a, you know, it affords people quite a, a lot of width on the things that they can do. And it's just up to the individual to kind of meet, meet those uh, lengths. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So is there anything that uh, that you wanted to talk about or, or um, feel like we've maybe not really gone into depth on enough? No, I, I honestly, this has been a pleasure. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I, I like coming on podcasts. I wish I could get into more. Um, you know, when, when BK had uh, reached out to me and uh, introduced your podcast to me, I, you know, you and I have very similar tastes and things that we like to, to learn about, read about, watch. Um, you know, I may have not been a, alive during much of the Cold War, but it's a very fascinating time period. Um, you know, I actually I got my master's degree in intelligence analysis, and I wanted to go work in the FBI or CIA. Um, and this was at a time when defense budgets and, and secret clearance budgets just weren't there. Um, but one of the things I did have the pleasure of having were professors that served during the Cold War and hearing their stories and um, hearing, you know, the difficulties they had, um, you know, maintaining secrecy in a world where the whole whole plan was to just dig up your enemy secrets all the time. Um, anytime you went into a bar in Washington, D.C., you had to watch what you were doing. You know, who were you talking to? You know, did they, you know, always have your hand over your drink type things, um, you know, and, and learn and hearing those war stories from them, so to speak, was really fascinating. And, um, you know, that that's one thing that uh, I, I really liked, to, you know, about your podcast background is you really picked an interesting time period in, in world history to focus on. And I think it was, I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Um, 
you know, I, I, I can't take a lot of credit for that because all I can say is it's, it's something that I've had an interest in since I was a little kid, a, a young kid, a young boy. And it's something that I've always thought about, you know, I've always had an interest in, um, you know, what, <clears throat> what would happen if the world was annihilated by a nuclear war? What, what would the world be like and what would surviving in a world like that be like? And that's why, you know, some of the photography, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to look at it, but some of the photography that I've done has, has had a really post-apocalyptic uh, feel to it. Uh, and I tried to, to capture that, what it would feel like to, to exist in a world that had been devastated by nuclear war. You know, it is a very real possibility. Oof, um, no. <laughs> you know, and, the, um, there, there is a real possibility, but I do want to say this. It's not something that I hope for. Oh, no, no, no. It is something <laughs> that I do not ever want to see happen. See, see, growing up in Pittsburgh, you, you know, my parents tell me stories. My grandparents tell me stories. You know, it used to be a very steel-heavy area, hence Pittsburgh Steelers, so on and so forth. Um, it used to be a major target because it was such an important supplier uh, of a, ma a major industry um, that's kind of dissipated over the years, but hearing their stories about whenever you'd read on the news and they'd hide under their desks and, and um, do all the drills all the time. You know, when I used to work in the city, I'd walk down and you'd see the old fallout shelter signs on the, you know, the, this church basement is a fallout shelter. And, um, you know, it's a very scary thing. Um, one of my favorite novels is the postman by David Brin. Um, and it's kind of a post-apocalyptic understanding of what the West would be like in a post-nuclear, well, as an EMP attack, you know, some large-scale devastation event. And uh, it's very romanticized in a lot of novels, but, you know, when you see it in pictures and what you see to be the real world, it's, it's more, you know, it's interesting, but it's also very frightening and it's not something that you would want to deal with. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of the whole concept of Mad Max lawlessness going on in, in, in Western Pennsylvania. I'll put it that way, <laughs> especially with a wife and two kids. It's a, it's great to be able to imagine those worlds and experience those worlds through, um, through media, uh, like movies, books, and that kind of stuff. One of my favorite books uh, is the road. Um, that's oh, a very, yes. yeah, very that's good. a very bleak, uh, you know, almost a depressing read. If, if you read that book, don't, uh, go with your family on a picnic on a sunny day and read that book <laughs> because yeah. if you read it any other way, you're going to, yeah, you're going to feel depressed and, uh, but it's a great book. You know, I just, I love that book and, um, it, it hits hard, but it's a it's a fascinating read um i forgot where i was going to oh you know what i do want to ask you so you you have a degree in intelligence and you wanted to go work for the government but what did you end up doing for uh for a career i'm a compliance officer for a healthcare system um, oh okay you know but honestly i i really do enjoy what i do um it, it, i took a very weird path to get to where i'm at um you know, and I always laugh, you know, when I look back on and on how I got to where I'm at, I, I got into undergraduate school for meteorology. And um, 
I found out I'm, you know, I'm not that strong in the necessary math. I think I've kind of pointed that out a couple of times. Um, and I majored in history and classical studies. And I ended up going to grad school for intelligence analysis. And I came out and I was doing financial uh, fraud investigations. Um, and it just kind of went end over end into healthcare and did fraud investigations in healthcare for a while. And then you, you know, just seemed natural to begin to learn the compliance aspects of things a few years back. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy, enjoy what I do now. I like where I work. Um, I just, you know, it's one of those things if I travel back in time and I sat down with my younger self and asked what you want to do with your life and it wasn't a compliance officer at a healthcare system, we'll put it that way. Yeah. And it, it sounds a lot more boring than I'm sure that it actually is. It seems like, you know, if you drill down and, and look at what you do, it's important work. And I'm sure it's very satisfying for you to be able to, to do what you do. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some moments of satisfaction, for sure. I mean, for a lot of people, um, it's it sounds like I just would read regulations all the time and have to apply as regs, but I'm not an attorney, <laughs> is usually what I tell people. Is So a lot of what I do is provide guidance, but it, there's investigations involved and, and, you know, and there's some, you can often get some pretty interesting things that way. Some of the things people do to try to skirt the system are pretty creative. Maybe we'll get into that in another podcast. Oh, I'd love to talk to that in a different podcast. Absolutely. If you want to have me back on, uh, yeah, I could talk to you all day about the fun stuff I've had the pleasure of seeing in, in healthcare fraud and compliance over the years. Yeah, I'm sure that would make an interesting fictional novel. Yeah, you know, it, it's weird because I know it would. But when I walk away from my desk during the after day, I, I really don't want, to, <laughs> don't want to address it anymore. That That makes total sense. You know, that's that goes back to the uh, the old uh, idea that the uh, you know you go to the barber that uh, doesn't have a, a clean haircut because he doesn't want to cut his own hair. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but everybody else goes into that barber because he's a great barber. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he just doesn't yeah. want to cut his own hair. For me, it's a lot of uh, doctors who don't go to the doctor. Um, you know, I always find that fascinating, uh, you know, in, in the healthcare world, that's usually your, the, you know, you should really go see a doctor. I know you're a doctor, but you should see a doctor mm-hmm. and, and they don't. <laughs> what is that about? It, it, it I, I don't, honestly, I'm not a doctor. So my only theory is that they care so much about their patients that they kind of get lost on their own, on their own health sometimes. Okay. Um, but that would be my theory. But I'm not a doctor, so I, you know, I, I go to the doctor. <laughs> See, my conspiracy brain went straight to because they know medicine is a fraud. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I don't believe that, okay? I know doctors are, are provide a valuable service to humanity. Oh, I mean, I, you know, if we ever do that other podcast, I'll give you some examples of doctors who um, – are not good doctors. We'll put it that way. Bad doctors <laughs> behaving badly. That's a, that's an interesting podcast, but uh, and that might be too scary. That might be too scary. To yeah, there's put some out alarming there to the public. Things. There's you know, but suffice to say, most people are fine. Yeah, but, yeah. I think most people are fine, but there are definitely some alarming stories I've had to deal with throughout the years. And um, yeah, you know, we can save it for another time. But I, not everyone's great. We'll put it that way. For sure. For, uh, well, yeah, for this episode, we'll keep it into the realm of science fiction <laughs> and, uh, and 
you know, the the horror podcast series was last month. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep the horror for another uh, another episode. Uh, okay, so before I let you go, well, first of all, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Um, I, I I do think that I agree with you that we covered a pretty good scope of uh, topics, and you know, we brought it back to the core. Uh, theme of the podcast which is the cold war and the core theme of this series which is the science fiction aspect of it um but uh before i let you go and before we close this out would give people your um your website address your social media and where they can find all your works sure uh the Cranes of Blackwell you can find it on Amazon Barnes and Noble any uh major retailer online um, you can visit my website, www.jdkellner.com for some short stories and some insights into my writing. Again, Andrew, um, thank you so much. You know, I, I, I really appreciate your time. Okay. And could you, uh, tell people your Twitter handle and oh, also yeah. spell, spell your last name so people know how sure, to get to sure. it. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at author JD Kellner. Uh, that's K E L L N E R. Awesome. My man. Well, again, I'm, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story uh, and sharing your insights about the world of science fiction. Uh, and I hope to have you on again. I was serious about bringing you back on to talk about some other topics in a future. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. This is great. I, you know, these are the types of things I like. I'm so glad it was conversational in nature. Um, you got a ton of great insight and some things that, I, you know, I, I learned a lot that we'll put it that way. Well, it, we definitely have a lot in common and it's always great to talk to somebody who I can like bounce ideas off and learn things from. I learned as well. Uh, and yeah, it was great having you on, man. Thank you. All right. It was a pleasure. All right, JD, take care now. You too. Thank you. Thank you.